I was thinking this past week about uh, about different ways I've seen lately that uh, that companies, businesses are trying to um, um, create revenue streams. It's all about making more money, right? And, and I kind of just been noticing. Um, a trend, I guess, if you want to call it that, among a handful of companies. The trend that I was kind of seeing was taking, taking an existing product or an existing name and trying to make it better, which of course means more expensive, right? I mean, that's how that works. Make it better by adding a plus to it, like a plus sign. So for example, there's been Apple TV for a while. That's been around for a while, but now you can, again, pay more. You can pay a, a, a subscription and get Apple TV Plus, okay? And, and if you haven't already heard, that's now the only way to watch the Charlie Brown holiday specials this year. You can't watch them on network TV anymore. So I'm just the messenger. Please don't send me the, I'm upset about it too. But, but Apple Plus, or Apple TV Plus, right? It's, it's this supposedly bigger and better thing, and of course, costs more money. And, and it's not just Apple. There's, I mean, we can name them. There's Disney Plus, there's Hulu Plus, there's ESPN Plus, there's Dropbox Plus. A new one you maybe saw the last week or two, Walmart Plus. They're coming out with one of those now. PlayStation Plus, GoPro Plus. I mean, the assumption is that if we add a plus to the version, make it a little bit better, charge some more money, people will subscribe to this superior version. Um, they assume that the plus just, that we'll just say, oh, it must be better, so of course I'll pay more money for it. Well, I, you know, that's all fine and good when it comes to products. Um, maybe there is more value, you know, at times, and, and we might subscribe to those kinds of things. Other times, we might bemoan the fact that the free version is being taken away, and we'll just say, well, I'm done with that. I'll just cut that thing out of my life, and I'll, I'll go on my way. Um, this morning, what we're going to see in, uh, in Paul's letter to Titus is that there were certain people on this island of Crete who were attempting to peddle something that I think we might call gospel plus, if we can allow that, gospel plus. So, so rather, than, rather than preaching the true gospel, rather than proclaiming the true gospel message that salvation comes by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ, they were adding some things to the gospel message. And their assumption was, then they wouldn't have called it probably gospel plus, but the assumption was that, that this was a better message, that it was a far superior message to the regular gospel, if you want to call it that. So, so look with me here this morning in Titus chapter 1. We are picking it up where we left off last week in verse 10. And, and let's just kind of take note of what these false teachers were maybe attempting to, uh, to add to the true gospel message. So Titus chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes and says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, 
evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, now from the description here that Paul uses in this passage, it, it, it seems very likely that, that these false gospel, these gospel plus teachers were either Jews or Jewish background Christians, one of the two. We, we talked last week about how there was a, a, a Jewish presence on this island of Crete. There's evidence within the Bible of that. There's evidence outside of the Bible that there was a Jewish presence on this island. So, so as the gospel spread across the Roman world in the first century, it, it wasn't just pagans who were accepting the message and who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. There were Jews who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ as well. Jews were converting. One of the things that we see throughout the New Testament, it's not just here in Titus, is that when, when Jews or people of a Jewish background became followers of Jesus, many times there were, there were some prior ways of thinking or prior ways of living that, that kind of proved difficult for them to let go of. Now, you know, you don't, you don't have to know too many details about the Jewish faith to know that a central tenet of the Jewish faith is adherence to the Old Testament law. For generations, Jews had been taught that to rightly follow God, a person needed to keep the God-given law. And, and under that first covenant, under the Old Covenant, that was true. God's people, the, the Jews, they were to be set apart from the world in part by living contrary to the people around them, according to the law. That's why certain foods were declared to be unclean. That's why eight-day-old boys were to be circumcised. In a world marked by all kinds of different uh, false gods, all kinds of different idol worship, the Jews were to stand out like a clear beacon, calling people to the true God. Well, the, the death, the, the resurrection of Jesus instituted a new covenant. No longer is the old covenant in effect, a covenant centered on the Old Testament law. It's been superseded, it's been fulfilled by Jesus. There's now a new covenant. So no longer are God's people defined by their adherence to a certain code. Now they're defined by God's presence living within them, the Holy Spirit, and, and that's made evident on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. If you remember back to that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, he indwelt the believers, and they began speaking in foreign tongues in the city of Jerusalem. Those who were there, Jews who had come for the festival of Pentecost from all over the known world, heard the believers speaking in all these different tongues, naturally they were curious, what's going on? What caused all this? They, they, they wanted to know. So Peter stood up and he explained to them. 
He told them about Jesus. And after these Jews had heard Peter's proclamation, they asked, what shall we do? Obviously, God is doing something here. The Holy Spirit has been given. We see that because of tongues being, being spoken. What do we do now in response to this truth? And what was Peter's answer to that question? Did he say, go out and try harder to keep the law that you've been trying to keep for so long? Did he say, well, I've got a new law. I've got a better law for you to follow that will replace that, that prior law. He didn't say any of those things. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the, uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how Paul answered that question, or how Peter, excuse me, answered the question. There's nothing in there about law-keeping. There's nothing in there about rule-following. Salvation comes through repentant faith in Jesus Christ. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that, that many, many Jews received and believed that message. There were, there were about 3,000 that day that received it. Now, if you think about that context, at that time, the Jews had been living according to the Old Covenant for 1,500 years. That is a long time for a group of people to be living a certain way according to a certain code and as we know from experience, old habits die hard, right? 1,500 years the Jews had been living a certain way. This, this is why you see in Scripture that Jewish believers sometimes would turn the gospel into gospel plus. So as, as the story goes, as history unfolds, 20 years after the day of Pentecost, the, the worldwide church gathered in Jerusalem to to figure out what needed to be done about, about this situation. They, they, they were specifically discussing whether non-Jewish believers in Jesus needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. And after discussion, after prayer, the church leader's response to that situation was a resounding no. No, they saw that non-Jews had heard the gospel of Jesus and had believed. They saw that the Holy Spirit had been given to them. They, they recognized that their hearts had been cleansed by faith and all of that was without circumcision. And so they recognized this. The council at Jerusalem correctly led the church to understand that the gospel plus, the gospel plus circumcision was not the true gospel. It was not the true gospel. The, these other things were not required for salvation in Jesus. So you think about Paul's letter here to Titus. It's, it's written probably 10 to 15 years after that council in Jerusalem. Makes me wonder, had the outcome of that council not reached this island yet? Um, had, the, had they heard the outcome but just kind of decided to reject it? I mean, Paul said, you know, they're known as, as lazy gluttons. I mean, maybe they just said, well, we don't really care. We're just going to go along our way. We just don't know. But we, it does seem fairly certain that there were some Jews on the island preaching a gospel plus message. I think we can see that. We're told in verse 10 that they're of the circumcision party, and so we can probably safely assume that they preached the gospel plus circumcision. Uh, we're told in verse 
14 that, that they held to Jewish myths and the commands of people, and, and so we might assume that they were mandating adherence to the human interpretations of the Old Testament law. Uh, verse, verse 15, the language Paul uses there about pure and defiled, it kind of takes us back to that often debated situation regarding food, clean and unclean food. So it, everything's there that leads us to believe that, that this is probably gospel plus from a Jewish perspective. Now you, you think about purity, you think about salvation cleansing us, you know, this concept of true inner purity and not simply outer purity is, is something that, that Jesus taught multiple times in his ministry. For example, in Mark chapter seven, Jesus talked about, uh, he talked with his disciples about how eating certain types of food does not make a person unclean. It doesn't, the food goes in, goes out, that's it. It doesn't make a person unclean. It's what comes out of the person from the heart that makes them unclean, that's what Jesus says there. He's also talking in uh, uh, Luke chapter 11 with the Pharisees. They wondered why Jesus didn't wash before dinner. So kids, next time your parents want you to wash before dinner, well, Jesus didn't always do it. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing that's going to work, but you can try it, I guess. But that's what the Pharisees, Jesus, why, why aren't you washing your hands like you're supposed to do according to the law? Jesus didn't follow the strict laws of physical cleanliness like they thought he should. Jesus essentially told them they could wash themselves all they want, but they're still unclean because of what is inside of them. Their, their hands might have been spotless, but their hearts were still black with sin. I mean, that, that's what Jesus is getting at there. He knew that a person could be very successful in cleaning up their outside under their own power. It, it is quite possible, and many have done it through the years, clean up everything on the outside, but Jesus also knew that a person could never be successful in cleaning up their inside, their heart, under their own power. Can't do it. It's only done by the transformative work of Jesus by way of the cross. It's the only way, only our crucified Savior can clean our sin-blackened hearts. And so the problem with Gospel Plus is that it is an attempt to say, well, Jesus, it looks like you need some help with that inner cleansing. Let, let me assist you. Let me add these other things along to help the cleansing. For Jews, they attempted to help by adding circumcision, by, by adding law-keeping, by adding adherence to certain traditions. Now, we've probably not ever been tempted to add circumcision to the gospel message. I've never heard that preached here. Honestly, I've never heard that preached really anywhere outside of this kind of a context here in, in, uh, in Titus or in other spots in the New Testament. So we're just, uh, you know, we're just not tempted, right? We, we, we probably don't designate certain foods as unclean and say that a person who is truly saved will never eat those unclean foods. We, we, we usually just don't go there. But even though the, the gospel plus that the Jews were proclaiming in that context doesn't gain much traction today, it doesn't mean that there aren't any versions of gospel plus that do pull at us today. The, the things that we are tempted to add to the gospel just look a little bit different in today's setting. For example, 
Um, and yeah, I guess I'm going there. A, a gospel plus that I've encountered a lot lately pertains to what's going to happen on Tuesday with the election. I've seen it a lot, and it's not unique just to this election cycle, but, but too many times over the past months, I've, I've seen gospel plus politics. And, and, it's, and, and it, you, if you think about it, you've seen it too, you've heard it too, right? Something along the lines of, if you are truly a Christian, you will vote for, you know, insert this candidate, insert this party, or, or it's the negative side of that. If you are truly a Christian, you cannot vote for this person or, or this party. It's gospel plus. I, I mean, it just is. That, that is adding something to the gospel. If we would ever question a person's salvation based upon their vote, we're adding something to the gospel. Now, now I'm not saying we can't have strong feelings about a certain candidate or a party. I'm not saying you can't put signs in your yard. I'm not saying you can't try to promote a certain candidate or a party. I'm not saying you can't, you know, try to convince someone how, they, how you think they ought to vote in a certain way. Um, but in person, I mean, over social media is not the place to do that, all right? We can do those kinds of things, but... But as soon as we start saying that all Christians must vote a certain way or must refrain from voting a certain way, we have crossed that line. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. We've crossed that line into gospel plus. And, and, and we can be pretty polite, so we maybe haven't said it. But even if we think it, even if we think, how can that person be a Christian and vote that way? That is gospel plus thinking. You know, a, a person's salvation in Jesus Christ just does not hinge upon which box they check on the ballot. It, it just doesn't. But, but we can make it about that, can't we? It can be so tempting to, to, um, to hold to that line of thinking. I, I think a great thing to do to help combat that line of thinking is to maintain friendships and relationships with those who are believers and do vote differently than, than we might vote. I think it's great. I mean, and, and you think about Titus, right? You think back to that situation in Jerusalem. You got uh, Gentile believers. You got Jewish believers. And do the Gentiles need to follow? Uh, Titus himself, it was his personal testimony which greatly impacted the church in Jerusalem as they were discussing that whole thing, right? Had, had the, the church leaders, and, and they were Jewish church leaders, had they not known a Gentile believer, it might have been tempting for them to just assume that well, maybe they don't really exist. You know, not a, you know, can there really be a true believer in Jesus who's not circumcised? They might have wondered that. But there was Titus right there with Paul, and they looked at Titus and they examined him, and, and, and Paul gave testimony about Titus's life and the transformation that had taken place. And, and it might have been shocking to them, but there Titus was, right before their eyes, an uncircumcised believer in Jesus Christ. And so, you know, for us, if we don't have any relationships with followers of Jesus who vote for the other party, it can be tempting to assume they don't exist, right? Not, not true believers of Jesus, right? But, but they do exist. And if we interact with them, we'll, we'll see firsthand that a person can indeed be filled by the Holy Spirit 
and vote differently than I might. And again, again, we can be passionate about our stance. We can lovingly seek to convince people one way or the other. But we cannot cross that line into saying that we are adding political affiliation to the gospel. You know, and I, part of me really didn't want to go there this morning, but in the, you know, when God lines it up the Sunday before the election, I don't, you know, <laughs> I would have, would have felt disobedient in a way to have not brought that up. But, but we see that, and so I would just encourage us, again, we can be passionate, we can vote a certain way, but to not require that to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, another area, let's get off of politics, another area to be, to be careful uh, is in the area of just doctrinal beliefs. You know, there's times where an individual or or even an entire theological movement can be so fixated on a, on a specific secondary doctrine of God that they begin to view anyone who differs from them as not true Christians. Right? This, this definitely happens. I, I, man, I, I know I gotta check myself on this. Uh, when we go on uh, car trips and see some of the messages that are written on church signs, it can be so hard for me to not judge them. I mean, just ask Megan, right? When I point out those signs and I shake my head. (laughs) But as soon as I start picking apart a specific theological stance taken on a church sign and assume that, man, you know, are they really preaching the gospel there? I'm falling into that line of thinking, that gospel plus way of thinking. And it's not restricted just to church signs. It's just an area that, that I find it easier to judge than others, I guess. But but in essence, we're, we're just replacing the word uh, vote with the word believe. So instead of how can you be a Christian and vote for that, it's how can you be a Christian and believe that doctrine. Um, it's, uh, it's not the gospel plus free will or the gospel plus predestination. It's not the gospel plus infant baptism or the gospel plus believer's baptism. And you can add all sorts of things there. It's not, it's not the gospel plus pre-tribulation or the gospel plus post-tribulation. It's not the gospel plus seven-day creation. It's not the gospel plus day-age theory. It's not wrong to have a stance on any of those things. And, and maybe we should have a stance on every one of those things. It's not wrong to firmly hold to a stance on any of those things. I, I would say it's not even wrong to lovingly debate those things and seek scripture. But when we start making those a prerequisite for, for being a true believer in Jesus, then we're right back at gospel plus thinking again. You know, you and I may not agree on every single area of doctrine. We probably don't if we, were, if we would sit down and go through every single one. You know, Pastor Tim and I wouldn't agree on every single area of doctrine. But those secondary doctrines are not essential to being a true believer of Jesus. You know, and, and again, you know, I, I think a, a good safeguard in this area is just like what we talked about earlier with politics. If we don't have relationships with people who differ from us on various theological doctrines, then, then we're much more likely to assume that, that all true believers believe the exact same things that I do. But if I interact with Pentecostal or Catholic or Orthodox or or Presbyterian or Methodist believers and see that they hold to the same tenets of the gospel that I do, 
then I can much easier view them as the true believers that they are, even if we would disagree on some of these other doctrinal beliefs. It, it, it keeps me from assuming that they can only be a Christian if they believe exactly like I do on every little thing. Uh, and you know, the, the, there's other areas, and we could probably list other gospel plus areas that we, that we see today. You know, drinking alcohol can kind of turn into that at times. You know, there's Christian traditions throughout history that, that have flatly rejected drinking alcohol and, and would even question a person's faith if they if they themselves drank alcohol, that's gospel plus. Um, smoking cigarettes, you know, anytime we, we find ourselves thinking that a person can't be a Christian and smoke a cigarette, same thing, that's, that's gospel plus. The, the bottom line in, in, in all of this is that there were people on the island of Crete that were teaching in order to truly experience salvation and be a follower of Jesus, there were certain things that needed to be added to the gospel message. And, and Paul's command to Titus really is very strong. You look, he says in verse 11, they must be silenced. They must be silenced. Down in verse 13, rebuke them sharply. I, I think Paul's telling Titus, telling us here, we need to take very seriously our presentation of the gospel message. The message of the gospel is that it is God and God alone who gives us salvation and transforms us. It's only through his work on the cross that we can ever come to salvation in him. That, that, that is the gospel message. We can't add anything to that. We should never add anything to that. And, uh, you know, the way Paul talks here, I mean, you can even argue that a person who, who attempts to preach a gospel plus message doesn't even know God as well as they might think they do. You know, Paul says in verse uh, 16, right, it's like the, the, those on Crete who were doing this professed to know God, but he would say, well, your works are telling a different story. You know, to, to misrepresent the gospel in a way is to misrepresent God. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, this, I think this is why it's so important to Paul that Titus help the, these young churches to be sound in their faith. He, he wanted the people of Crete to know God for who he truly was and to experience that inner transformation that only comes through God's power at work in them. He wanted the churches on Crete to be churches that were utterly transformed by the gospel alone. That message of the gospel, it's the same message that, that we have to proclaim today, the same message that we have to speak today. It's not a gospel plus message. It's just the gospel alone message. That's what we're called to. When, when, you, think about, uh, when you think about a theology of salvation, there's, there's some who would hold to something called universalism. In other words, that at the end, all people will eventually be saved from God, uh, by God from their sins. Um, the universalists don't believe in eternal punishment for sin. I, I would say this goes against the gospel, which clearly communicates the problem of sin and the results of sin. Now, to be fair, universalism is a very optimistic belief, and, and it's a belief that I sometimes wish I could believe in, but it goes against the, the gospel message. 
And so we have to stand against that kind of teaching. You know, Jesus said that the, the gate that leads to life is narrow, and so we need to rightly highlight the narrow gate that only a few will find rather than the wide gate that leads to destruction. But at the same time, we have to be careful that we aren't attempting to make that gate even narrower or even locking it behind ourselves, shutting it on those who desire to walk through it. That is essentially what Gospel Plus does. It takes the narrow gate and says, well, that's really still too wide. We need to narrow it even more, even more, and if if we're honest, we would do it probably to the point where we're the only ones that can get through it. And it misses it that we ought to desire that as many people as possible would walk through that narrow gate. So we should do what we can to lead them to that gate, to proclaim the truth about who Jesus is, but, but not make sure to lock that gate behind us so that no one else can go through it. I want to just close this morning by reading from Romans these words. Romans chapter 10. Paul writes this, chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. You can hear it, right? You can hear it. It doesn't matter about circumcision, following the old law. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe that's the best safeguard against Gospel Plus, that passage right there. It's all about who Jesus is. It's all about what he does in us and through us. Anyone who calls on him is going to be saved, is going to receive the riches of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? We need, to, we need to thank God this morning that the gospel is what the gospel is and that it's not a gospel plus that we need to hold to. So God, we come to you this morning truly thankful for this message, for your love, for your sacrifice upon the cross for our sins. Every one of us here, I know, is so thankful that there's not all these extra things that are required for salvation in you. God, we thank you that the work that you do is the work that you do, that we trust in you, that we put our faith in you, and that you cleanse us, not just outwardly, that you cleanse us inwardly. God, we give you praise for that this morning. Would you, would you help us to recognize times where, where, we, might be, where we might be getting into a, a gospel plus way of thinking, whether that's in our own lives or what we expect from others in our lives. We want to be people who proclaim the truth about who you are and the truth about your gospel message. 
So God, would you give us opportunity for that today, this week? And God, as you bring those opportunities to us, may we be people who, who proclaim your love, proclaim that salvation is found in you. We give you praise. God, we are, we are forever indebted to you, and we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.